We got an Oceans Today episode featuring Rebecca Daniel from the Marine Diaries. We chat about all things fishing. What is overfishing? What does exploited or depleted fish stocks mean? How is illegal fishing impacting? What is bycatch? And somehow we got onto a long tangent about octopus. This episode became so long that I'm actually going to split it into two. Uh, So this is the first installment. And the most important thing is that we wanted to let you guys know about Fish Free February, which is a pledge you can take to not eat fish this February. I know it's mid-February. Forgive me. We had cyclones over here. But it is still an amazing initiative that you can get involved in right now to help decrease your fish intake and therefore decrease the demand for fish, therefore make fishing a bit less destructive on our ocean. So head on over to the show notes on oceanpancake.com where you can read all about that as well as check out any of the videos about the things we were talking about in this week's episode. So yeah, thank you so much for joining me. As always, if you want to support me in the work I do, please join the Patreon Ocean Pancake or join the Facebook group. Let me know what you think. Tell me who else I should interview and all that jazz. Every day, there's a new news story about the crisis facing our ocean. Whether it's the plastic issue, overfishing, pollution, if the oceans die, we die. Fortunately, we have plenty of environmental activists, marine conservationists, and eco-warriors who are out there every day fighting to protect our oceans and our Earth. On the Ocean Pancake Podcast, we're going to be hearing from some of them about how to decrease our environmental footprint, go plastic-free, participate in ocean conservation, cleanups, and even maybe some marine science. So, welcome to the Ocean Pancake Podcast, where the goal is sustainability and living a turquoise life. My name is Kat Andreskova, and I'm your host today. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to another episode of our mini-series, which is Oceans Today, part of the Ocean Pancake Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Rebecca Daniel, back from Marine Diaries. So, hi and welcome back, Rebecca. Hi, thanks for having me. I've been so excited to organize this with you and have a marine expert talk about some of the biggest kind of issues facing our oceans. And um, do you want to share with the audience what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about fisheries and whether we can have fish sustainably, whether we should eat fish at all, and whether we can still eat fish. I think it's one of the most important things to tackle in terms of marine conservation, because before uh, I went vegan, that was the first thing I kind of quit was eating tuna and everything. And a lot of my like diving friends were very much on that kind of bandwagon of not eating tuna but I never really delved into it too deep. So let's get into the nitty gritty today and talk about, uh, can we still eat fish? Yeah, I think, I think you can't really be a marine conservationist and still eat fish um, without, like, I, I really can't see any justification currently for doing that. But if someone has, has a justification, I would love to hear it. <laughs> Definitely. So let's talk about some of the fishing methods that are used and why um, essentially we believe that there's no such thing as fishing sustainably, kind of. <laughs> yeah, so the main, I think the main thing really with the way that we eat fish at the moment is that 
people generally, um, well, especially in westernized countries, um, we only eat a few species of fish. So like typically salmon, cod, tuna um, are very popular. Um, and that basically kind of shapes the market in such a way that when fishery, like fishermen and fisherwomen um, go out and, and try and catch fish, they only want the fish that is that high value that people are demanding. Um, and they're trying to target that one fish, but obviously you end up catching other, other types of fish, um, which is bycatch. So you end up kind of catching all this fish and maybe throwing, I don't know, up to, up to kind of half of it back, um, which is just, just so wasteful and is one of the reasons why kind of fisheries is like leading uh, to the, the collapse of kind of marine ecosystems um and then yeah basically like there's lots of different destructive methods as well so we have the kind of main fishing uh, method which kind of happens all over the world which is trawling which i believe is where a lot of the fish comes from uh into our supermarkets and can you kind of describe what trawling is yeah, so basically um, bottom trawling um, is when a massive net kind of gets dragged along the seabed and it basically collects anything that it comes across. Um, gosh, sorry, let me just turn this off. Um, basically, yeah, it collects anything. So that could be like um, benthic fish, um, things like shrimp. Um, as well as things that kind of like actually live in the seabed. So um, that could be coral, um, deep sea sponges, um, anything you well, like that would live in the sand, the benthic trawl would take. Um, and then there's also uh, pelagic trawls. So it's the same kind of concept, but um, just not along the seabed, but um, through kind of, um, middle bit of the ocean um but also has the same kind of thing where it can catch anything that is swimming around in there um so things like turtles and dolphins and all the all the animals that yeah. we know and love um i think did you see this like little animation thing a couple of years ago where uh people were trying to showcase what trawling really was or how much bycatch happened from these massive trawlers so these are massive ships and the nets are just enormous i'm not sure what the um, length of them or size of them but I, I I know I've seen some photos and it's just astonishing they and are very long so I think some um, drift nets are up to 1.5 nautical miles um, not quite sure of the conversion into kind of kilometers right now but um, it's pretty big <laughs> uh, yeah and um, which kind of is impressive what humans have managed and it just shows how unfair it is now because not only do we have these enormous nets um, but we also have sonar so we can really target fish um, mm. specifically so it's just you know we know exactly where we're going to find these schools and um, we're not getting as many fish out of the oceans as we would have expected considering how um, you know advanced all the technologies are and of course that is due to many of the areas in the world are overfished. So what is the statistic in terms of the overfishing? Um, so it's kind of estimated now that around 90% of fish stocks globally are either fully exploited 
um, overexploited or actually depleted. Um, so it's pretty widespread um, and there's been a kind of an estimate that if we continue at our current levels of fishing, we will actually be left with no fish by 2048, which is not that far off. <laughs> so what does what is, um, overfished or exploited really mean? Because 90% just sounds like a terrifying amount, but I'm still seeing fish in supermarkets and people are still eating it. So what exactly does that term mean? Um, so I think it's mostly based on um, kind of population dynamics, but also this thing called um, maximum sustainable yield, mm -hmm. um, which is basically based on economics, um, which is why it doesn't really work. Um, but some kind of fish stocks also do incorporate things like population dynamics. Um, but it, it basically is the kind of maximum amount that you can take that still sustains um, the same population growth rate. Um, so there's a lot of arguments that if you if you fish at that um, that rate, it will actually allow the fish stock to be stable um, and is actually like beneficial. Um, but the problem with this is that obviously fish stocks are like they can move around the ocean, they change every year, there's different environmental factors. Um, so if they're not uh, very specific to specific areas and specific uh, years, and they're not kind of taking into account lots of different life history traits, they are not very accurate. Um, but so if, if a fish stock is to say it's fully exploited, um, it basically means that it's, it's fully kind of being fished at that rate. Overexploited means that it's basically being fished above that rate. It's being fished to such extent, extent that it's declining. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. That's my understanding anyway. <laughs> no, fair enough. It's good to kind of have the explanation of fully exploited where that's really the, the maximum level it could kind of stay at. But, you know, of course, we don't know what the what's really going on in the sea at all times. And then overexploited is when it's starting to decrease and then depleted is when we're in real trouble, I guess. <laughs> um, also, one of the things that always gets brought up is how fishing always changes the kind of dynamics of what's happening in the ocean. And the prime example of this, of course, is shark fisheries, uh, whether mm -hmm. that's like the targeted shark fisheries where a lot of places in the world still uh, catch and feed whole sharks. Like I just recently saw Coles in Port Douglas selling um, black tip sharks uh, just at the normal fish counter. But we, of course, have flake being sold in our fish and chip shops. I think in the UK, uh, there is also plenty of sharks, but there's the enormous shark fin trade. So why, why are sharks one of those species that people really like point the finger to in terms of overfishing and changing the dynamics? I guess uh, with shark fishing, it's very much, um, you know, they're, they're a big predatory fish. And so they're at the top of the food chain. Um, and that's a problem because of, um, you're basically causing like a top down ecosystem shift. Um, so if you think of like predator prey dynamics, um, you're removing that top predator, um, which changes the populations um, below it. 
and then you get a population change, um, potentially an increase in the population, uh, you know, smaller fishes below it, but that has a knock-on effect mm -hmm. on whatever they're eating um, below that, and it can be really, really negative. Um, shark fishing is basically for uh, shark fins, um, which is, and there's a massive demand for it um, from Asia. Um, for things like shark fin soup, but also kind of these traditional Chinese medicines um, that have been proven to have no uh, medicinal benefits. Um, so it's really very much like an educational issue and a behavioral change, I think, um, because it, it, it's just, there's no, there's no benefit to eating them. Um, and there's such massive consequences by doing so. Um, and just generally the, the method of shark finning is absolutely horrific. Um, mm. so I don't know if you know this, but they basically just catch, catch a shark, like with either a big kind of like fishing hook or a harpoon or, you know, in a net. Um, and then they cut all of the fins off. So every single fin, they cut it off and then they just throw the body back into the water. So the shark sinks and suffocates and slowly dies um and it's banned in the uk but you can still import shark fins which i find bizarre oh. yeah but that's that's exactly what i was speaking to someone i cannot remember who uh but they just pointed towards like well of course they just cut off the fins from the shark and just throw it overboard like in terms of space on the boat the fins are much more valuable so why would you waste your time with the body um, and it's kind of partially related to what you were talking about in terms of um, the bycatch, how so much of it's just wasted and thrown out. Because why would they bring, you know, fish back into shore, which aren't the target species or the target part of the fish when it comes to sharks? Um, yeah, Because exactly. it's all about maximizing profits. Yeah, sadly, every, isn't everything. Um, I was reading um, in your in the notes that you sent me about the bycatch of shrimp, and I just think that's terrifying, and you have to mention it to people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, shrimp are basically the worst um, species in terms of bycatch. Um, so because they're caught by trawls, um, the ones that I mentioned before, like benthic trawls, um, mainly anyway, um, they can catch uh so for every one kilogram of shrimp they can catch up to uh, between five and 20 kilograms of bycatch and there was a, po a photo we posted on um, the marine diaries instagram like quite a while ago um mm -hmm. i can link you to it and it's a photo of you know a big ship full of fish and you think oh this is like a mixed fishery mm -hmm. um and then you look a bit closer and there's a few shrimp in there um and that is a shrimp fishery and there was literally like five shrimp in the photo and like just a ton of other stuff in there that will obviously all be thrown back that's horrible and it's dead right yeah, it's like it's, the fish do they survive i mean because there's mm. a lot of debate as well like oh i was just watching this tv show and my partner was like don't worry he throws them back and i'm like but <laughs> i feel like you still fish the like are they alive <laughs> I mean, I, I like I haven't been on a fishing boat myself, but mm -hmm. um, the general consensus is that 
they are dead because of the kind of time it takes to tr- mm-hmm. like bring in that net and then dump everything onto the to the boat they're obviously suffocating um and then also being squished um you know there's there's thousands of them in this like net they're all being squished together um so they're either dead already or they're dying and then they get thrown back in um so maybe a few which is potentially (laughs) but they've also been moved through their environment into a different place and it's just like oh it's like dory and and they're lost (laughs) exactly mostly mostly they then get um so i don't know if you've ever seen like photos of, of um big fishing trawls and there's a lot of birds flying around Mm -hmm. seabirds so that's why they will come because they will basically um one kind of eats in the fish from the actual nets but they will also just pick out all of the bycatch yeah um so i mean you could argue that it's some of it's being eaten um (laughs) might be okay helping the birds but um it's still terrible so there's like this estimate of that around 40% of the total fish that we catch globally is is bycatch. So that's literally like half. Yeah, which is insane. Which is just insane when you think about it. Like if we caught that, brought it back and just ate that fish, I feel like the oceans would be better, even if we were still catching it all. But we were eating it all because it would feed so many people. And who says, you know, this is the best fish or whatever. Like, I found this really interesting because mm. I've been speaking to a lot of, like, spear fishermen and everything. And I talked to fishermen in their native kind of environments. And, like, in Africa, I spent eight months. And my friends there, um, I was just chatting to them. And you know what they love eating? Parrotfish and unicorn fish. Like, that is their favorite nice. food. Like, they catch a tuna. Mm. Yuck. They throw that shit back. <laughs> like, they have no interest in it. So it's just completely dependent on like culture and just like what you've been told is good eating fish. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like I know even a couple of weeks ago, uh, we took one of my friends out on the boat and he shot a fish because uh, my partner spearfishes. So he was teaching my friend to spearfish uh, and he shot a fish, which like my partner or most of like our more like, experienced friends would never shoot i mean a giant trevally like yuck disgusting (gasps) you know what i mean like they it's it's one of those things like kind of fishing snobs and this guy shot Mm. it and then they brought it back and then eventually you know people cooked it because you know you're gonna cook it if you if you do catch it and then people were like oh wow it's really good i was like so what where's this coming from you know (laughs) like who's decided like that's bad fish um so it's just kind of i really don't know I guess it's like a history of uh, just like some people demanding it and then it just kind of like never changing. Um, Who knows really? You'd have to ask a historian about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I also kind of want to bring this up again in another podcast because a couple of episodes ago I had David Schiffman, which is the Why Sharks Matter guy. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, yeah, I think I actually saw your podcast with him. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just going to repeat myself from something he told me there because I found that shocking. But uh, certain creatures like the hammerheads are extremely sensitive. So even if they're in like a catch and release kind of scenario with sports fishermen, you can't see me, but I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> um, they, they can only be stressed for about 15, 20 minutes and then they die. 
just from exhaustion and stress because they are such sensitive creatures and because of their size sports fishermen will like battle with them for like from what david Schiffman said like an hour two hours maybe three hours to try to pull this massive fish onto their boat and then you know they catch the bring it up take the photo and then they're like oh but we're releasing it you know it is an endangered species so we're just going to put it back but that fish is dead i've literally never never really understood fishing and the whole like (laughs) like obsession with fishing I can understand like spearfishing it's a sport you eat the fish afterwards but like just fishing and trophy fishing especially like yeah I've just never understood it it's the same as like you know trophy hunting with like just like shooting a lion that's basically been trained to be okay with humans and then you go into this little tiny area and you shoot it like oh well done man like (laughs) great skills there yeah I don't I don't get it especially like creatures such as like um what what was it that I saw recently on a fishing boat because in Africa they would you know bring the boat straight back to the beach so I'd come face to face with a lot of these fish and I think I saw a, um, a sailfish now, I don't know if you've ever seen a sailfish underwater, but I managed to glimpse one a couple of times. They are magical. Like, they are incredible hunters, like the speed of them and their agility and just how elegant they are. And the first time I, I ever saw one, though, it was dead on a boat. And then eventually I saw it live. But I just remember just being so heartbroken. Like, the first time I'm seeing this creature, it's dead. And it, like, it's got none of its like glory you know it's just so like I don't know it's just heartbreaking you know like this yeah I think I think that's very common for a lot of people like the first time they see they see things it's generally dead like I I remember the first I've actually seen a sperm whale which um is incredible but it was dead (laughs) it was washed up like on my local beach um but I was quite young at the time and I remember because my, my mom was quite into diving and stuff and mm-hmm. she was like we need to go see this like we should go see it and it was insane just so so big and like that is not even the biggest whale that there is um wow. but yeah I think that's really common to to see a lot of things like dead before you see them alive which is so sad it, it definitely is. And the thought that most people will never have the opportunity to see them alive. And like the contrast mm. is just to see like a shark or any of these fish swimming in their natural habitats. It's just awe inspiring, you know, and I think it really does give you an appreciation to it. Um, yeah, I think it definitely changes your opinion. Uh, if you were to see, you know, a shark or a sailfish or a whale kind of in the ocean you I think it would be very hard for someone to then catch that and justify eating it Mm, I I do remember like uh, I was I was teaching a dive class and I showed my students an octopus and then I went home uh, not home like back to the marina and we had lunch with all the students and I ordered like my usual which was an octopus (laughs) salad and I remember just sitting there like looking at my plate and like that was the day when I stopped eating seafood because I was like oh man like <laughs> I just just saw this alive like two hours ago I can't eat it it's actually like a tricky one because <laughs> it tastes amazing but when you think of like how intelligent octopus yeah. are and then you're like 
I really shouldn't, like, you can't. Yeah, no, you feel so bad because they can, like, they're like crows. They open up puzzle boxes and all sorts of stuff, like, escape from Yeah, they're insanely um, clever. I've read some really incredible stories about them, but I don't know if they're true, um, that they, that they, like, um, they were in an aquarium and figured out when the guard was coming and, like, escaped their tank and went to, like, steal fish from the other tank then went back to their tank. Like, just crazy I've, stuff. I've like seen that. that. I've seen that one as well. And then I've also seen one where, like, um, there was this big headline and it was, like, octopus escapes tank into the ocean and, like, somehow <laughs> manages to, like, get out, get into, like, a drainage thing in the sink and then, like, crawl its way into the ocean. <laughs> um, which, to me, just, like, sounds literally like something out of finding Nemo but it is yeah probably possible I look I wouldn't put it past them they're they're sneaky little um things I I remember (laughs) no creature has ever made me laugh as hard as an octopus like I swam up to one and it um so octopus mate with their is it is it a ninth arm or is it one of their eight that's a, a male you know you know what i i don't know <laughs> anyway one of their arms is also their you know um male part and he was the laziest octopus i've ever seen because he was on one side of the rock and he just extended this limb over the oh rock God. into the other octopus's like pouch egg sac and when he saw me approaching he like quickly retracted and then he walked <laughs> me for a bit and then he was like oh, okay she's not gonna like come and disturb me and then he like slowly creeped the limb over the rock like he didn't even bother to go say hi to the other octopus you know he was like ah, I'm, I'm comfortable here I'm just gonna <laughs> like uh anyway um <laughs> that's so a, funny bit of a sidetrack there um yeah oh well one one more thing about octopus just because they're so cool yeah. I, there's a in a video of um someone who I think they have an octopus in a tank which is kind of sad but they've been studying it and if if you're interested, you should uh, look up how octopus sleep. Yeah. Have you seen Have you seen the video or not? No, no. I'm gonna. I'm googling. It's it incredible. Right now. So basically, they found out that well, they think that octopus also dream in their sleep. Um, yeah, and they, because it was there's like this flickering. Yes. Yeah. This incredible video of it, kind of like stuck to the side of the tank, and then mm-hmm. like moving and twitching, and like also just all of its. Um, like skin changing color it's really cool i mean their color changes same with a cuttlefish is just the most magical thing i've ever seen in this universe like it's just how does that happen you know like <laughs> i just uh i could keep going <laughs> well, on we about can do a whole podcast on how that happens <laughs> I, I think we probably will have to do you know uh yeah i could explain it yeah okay okay so we'll have you back to just talk to us about octopus because oh wow i'm watching the video now and it's dreaming i just yeah it's so cool isn't it okay okay back to back to fishing (laughs) um (laughs) kind of the next topic (laughs) that i wanted to talk about uh is the ghost fishing or the ghost nets now i've briefly touched upon this in a previous episode with maria pinto where we talk about plastic pollution and all that uh, because ghost nets or fishing nets make up around 46% of the ocean plastic, which is just hanging out in the ocean. Um, but what exactly, why is it called a ghost net? I never kind of understood that. So it's basically because uh, ghost nets are um, 
like fishing nets, trawls, um, any kind of like net that has been used to fish, which has then um, uh, been kind of left on to its own devices in the sea. And that can be from um, people purposefully discarding them at sea because it's expensive to kind of dispose of them. Um, and there's a lot of issues around that. Um, or it's because, you know, there's been a big storm, some of the kind of ropes have broken and unfortunately the nets have kind of been lost. So that it is accidental as well. Um, but basically the way that it works is that this, all of these nets will drift with the currents, um, you know, any kind of like wave action um, and winds and things like that, they'll be kind of dragged through the ocean, through the kind of, they can also be dragged like along the ocean floor um, and they still catch fish um, as well as other marine species. Mm -hmm. So it's called ghost fishing because they're kind of still acting as they would if they were attached to a boat um but they're not so they're kind of like I'm literally doing an action where I'm a ghost but you can't also see <laughs> it's okay I can imagine <laughs> yeah but so yeah that that's why um but so yeah as you mentioned like obviously a lot of the plastic in the ocean is ghost fishing nets um but I think they're one of these things that people don't really they either don't know or they don't really think about or put the, the dots together about like plastics and you know people talk about straws and coffee cups and like all these things and then they're like mm -hmm. eating loads of fish but if you want to cut down on your plastic like consumption and impact like cutting down fish is one of the main ways you could do that because you're demanding less fish so there's going to be kind of less pressure on fisheries to go and catch it so there'll be less nets in the ocean and less chance of those nets being discarded and less chance of those nets becoming ghost fishing nets and catching fish that will never be eaten it will mm -hmm. just kind of get caught in that net either escape which is very unlikely um get entangled or um just suffocate and die um, and the scary thing what Maria was saying is that, you know, often these nets will keep catching fish until they're like fully filled with fish, at which point they become so heavy that they sink to the bottom of wherever they are. There the fish decompose uh, and then the nets become buoyant again and go back up to the surface. Oh, so it's like a cyclical thing. I did <laughs> not know that. That is, that is so sad <laughs> i know i know and it, you're just thinking about it because we were talking about it but like going diving that's one of the things you see the most is massive nets just hanging on coral reefs and often they're so big you can't get them off you know like usually you have mm. your little knife and you're like oh well, i'm gonna collect all the garbage i find and then you come face to face with like a 20 meter net and you're like hmm <laughs> maybe not this one yeah there's 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 actually quite a few organizations uh, that are trying to kind of combat that mm -hmm. so um one of them is called um ghost, ghost fishing uk i believe um but there's also an international one uh which um you can basically say if you're a diver and you don't have you know the ability to lift these nets you can um you can kind of log your dive in your dive book say where you were you can contact them and you can say look i did a dive it was off uh, you know 
X beach or wherever you were, like you've got the GPS of the boat if you went from the boat um, and you say like, you know, I went down, I followed, you know, the, the reef around and then I found it here. Um, and they will send out a team who will then go and collect that, that net. Um, and they're kind of like specialist divers who have been trained to do this. Mm -hmm. um, so it's definitely something you can do, like if you uh, find the net that you feel unable to kind of remove it yourself um or you could organize it um you know within your kind of dive club or um get a group together um i think one of the main things is just making sure that you're already safe um so if you were to do that i would recommend kind of getting really experienced divers and maybe contacting them still as well anyway yeah definitely because it is it can get quite dangerous uh in terms of just collecting garbage out of the sea because of the weight and a lot of people don't realize it and then yeah definitely do it with professionals but there's plenty of like cleanups you can do which are safe um and the biggest thing that I was taught is always set a limit you know like once this bag is full go up or a time limit yeah if you <laughs> just keep going you're gonna you know it's it's never ending down there seemingly where we get on so many tangents with Rebecca. It's amazing. I love chatting to her. I learned so much. I hope you did too. Um, I am looking forward to the next episode where we're going to be talking about um, all things, uh, how to make fishing more sustainable and fish farming and what fish farming actually are, what fish farms actually are and how you can ensure that the food you are eating is as sustainable as possible. So thank you guys so much and stay tuned for the next episode.